Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Beyond the Ball. Be sure to check out these other basketball shows on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and the Green Light. If you're an NBA fan, explore our team-focused NBA pods, Cavaliers Central, 305 Culture, Knuck If You Buck, Blazing the Path, Motor City Hoops, Spanning the Spurs, LA Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, Hashtag Lakers, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, and At The Buzzer. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Coach Klump, we are back for another episode, and we are feeling good, are we not, about our Buffalo Bills? Yes, we are feeling good. And you know what? Back in the summer when we started this, we had a feeling that it was going to be us and the Chiefs. Now, maybe individuals from around the country did not have the love that we have for the Buffalo Bills, but deep down in our heart, we knew that um, if we wanted to take that next step, it was going to be us and the Chiefs in the AFC Championship, and here we are. Yeah, I think we're outperforming ourselves, like my expectations. I'm usually on the conservative side, like I believe, but I'm still usually, I got to see it before uh, I believe it, which is opposite of me as a faith-based person, because usually Mm, I'm pretty full of faith. Um, But when it comes to the Bills, man, I don't know. I just got to kind of see it, but they are definitely making a believer out of me. So by the time this episode drops... We're probably getting ready for a Super Bowl party, and we're just hoping that the Bills are in it, right? I love how you're talking there. Yeah, and and you know what? Everybody around the country was always like, well, but the Bills don't pass the eye test. They don't pass the eye test. Well, this year, you know, even individuals in the media are like, man, these Bills are fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. I saw something on social media the other day about um, can't can't we wait? We can't wait until like national commercials have Josh Allen in them, and that is something like I can't even fathom, right? Because right, you see right. all these commercials with with Baker and yeah. Baker Mayfield and all these other guys, and I'm just the JJ Rogers Watt. and the Patrick Price. Yeah, exactly. And it's like Josh Allen could that be like that'll be a very weird feeling. Face of the NFL coming, yeah. just as long as he's not on the Madden cover, you know. Yeah, hopefully that does not happen. So. Uh, I don't know. I'm excited, man. We could go. We could probably talk an hour and a half just about the Bills game. Yeah, maybe but we should make that our own pod. We could do something separate. But we got a great guest tonight, so we should probably get it moving. Um, what do you got for us in terms of a coaching nugget as we still sit here and wait for our yeah, season to start? Um, unsettledness for sure. So my coaching nugget is just opening up the lines of communication and having those tough, tough conversations with your players. But it goes a long way. You know, we talked about you know, slapping some people with the truth and it goes much farther than kissing them with lies. And one of the things that always makes a difference is making sure that you and your players have communication about what they believe their role is going to be on the team and then what you believe their role is going to be on the team. And if you two are in a distance of not agreeing in what you see it being and what they seeing it being, then we have to have a compromise and do what's best for the team. But it's always great to know what your expectations are and what their expectations are heading into the season. 
Yeah, I think that's going to dovetail nicely with my coaching nugget, but I think you're right that um, that open line of communication is is crucial. And I think where, for me, my nugget comes into play, can, can maybe just blend directly with that, is, you know, this concept of um, don't don't tell me, show me, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's where especially in this generation of kids. And maybe it was like this when we were kids. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little biased here, but I think as the years go on and maybe it's just because we get older, you know, it's, we constantly hear kids saying like, well, I was in the gym, I got my shots up. Um, But then when they get on the floor, they don't do it. Right. And so there's this missing transfer there of, you know, the actual action, like taking the initiative, making those instinctive plays. And it's something I talk about with my own children, um, not just on the on the basketball court, but on the soccer field and dancing of you, you can talk all you want. Um, but until you actually perform, that is when, you know, you really get down to the results. And I think that might go nicely with yours in those real, you know, tough conversations mm-hmm. about what their role is and what you perceive their role is and where the difference may come into play. Because I think sometimes kids just say, you know, I should be the guy, mm-hmm. but they haven't really done anything to be the guy. And that that trust has to be earned a little bit, um, not just for by the coach or with the coach, but with the teammate, their teammates as well. You know, so I kind of take that out of I was I was doing a little reading this morning in the Bible and it was talking about, you know, the tree of fruit and, you know, fruit. You could tell from the fruit what the tree is actually yeah, like, you know, the fruit that it bears, not the fruit it, that it talks about. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's what we're talking about with not just our athletes, but, you know, also with people that you work with, talking about you with your job and your actions. It's really about showing and doing um, than it is really about saying um, what you're going to do. And so... Yeah, right. uh, How are you growing individually in those individual hours, no matter if, if you're a coach or a player? It makes a big difference. Right. And I think those... And, you know, my parents always used to say it. I'm sure tons of people have heard this phrase, but my parents always used to say, actions speak louder than words. And... I mean, you think about that as a kid and you're like, oh, yeah, whatever. And you kind of blow it off. But the older you get, I think it really starts to, with that experience that you gain through life, it really starts to take hold. Like people will tell you through their actions what they're really all about. And so um, Great point, I, coach. I think I think that's what I think that's where we're at today, especially during this time of the pandemic. I mean, we would say that about our guests, right? Everybody says they're a transformational coach and they want to share the game. You know, and then we have coaches that maybe don't get back to us, you know, and they might have their reasons and we're not upset about it. Everybody's got busy lives and different priorities. But then you get coaches like we're going to have on tonight that are willing to just come on and share and, and make it part mm-hmm. of service, part of what they actually do and actually believe. And so uh, I think that's my coaching nugget, um, whether you're a player or you're a coach, you know, words, words are cheap, man talk is cheap and it's it's the action that you take that's really the important piece to the whole thing so hopefully the coaches and our athletes and our listeners can connect with that what about a verse yeah i was um i I veered off the verse today because i got thinking of just a a message and and it, it came to me this morning when i was doing my daily prime again shout out to our boy there doing our daily prime and uh it just 
I thought about, it's funny how we pray and ask Jesus to change a variety of different situations, not knowing that he put us in these situations to change us. Yeah, absolutely. And just challenging us to, you know, try to make ourselves better. And I think that's absolutely a great one. What's what, So can you give me an example of like where that maybe has relevance in, in your life? Yeah, you know, sometimes you go through through storms and like just say in um, you know, relationship-wise, if things aren't going well, then, you know, maybe, maybe it needs to be more communication. You have to be a, a better boyfriend, a better spouse, um, a better teammate in that, in that situation. And when things aren't going well, you just kind of sit back and, and digest what are the changes that you can make to better this situation. So maybe searching out some reflective thinking, some ways to sit down. And I know you like to journal as well and read. And I think that's a great way to do that as well, to get into just some deep thought and some deep understanding. Um, That's been one of my challenges recently is just trying to journal every day with the, you know, the talk about the daily prime and just Mm -hmm. building those habits. And so, yeah, I think that's great. I think, that connects directly to our guest tonight too. Um, coach Lance Loya is an author, um, former coach, and we're going to get into his story a little bit more, but he talks a lot about being a good teammate mm-hmm. uh, and being reflective on those types of things and what you can do to make that count. So I think that's kind of a nice lead in and a good introduction. So I'm excited to get to talk to him. You want to get started with that? Absolutely. Let's go. All right, so let's break for a second. When we come back, we'll be with Coach, and we'll see what kind of nuggets he has to give us tonight. We'll be right back. Hey, hoopheads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com, spelled A-R-Y-S-E, and use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E.com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. All right, guys, we're back to Beyond the Ball with Eric Klump. I'm Justin Gerson, and we're joined on this episode with Coach Lance Aloya. Coach, how are you? I'm fantastic. I'm so excited to talk to you guys here. And is it good to still call you Coach? I know once a coach, always a coach, right? You know, it's funny. I've never told anyone what to call me. So, uh, you know, I, I, my coach is, he's pushing 80 years old now. I still call him coach. And, you know, we've been friends for you know, over 40 years. Well, so I've never told anybody what to call me. Um, some people call me Lance. I had players call me Lance. That was fine. I always saw coach as being a sign of uh, respect. So I... I'm grateful for anybody who calls me coach. So, yeah, you can still call me coach if you want, but I'm not offended if you don't. All right, coach. Well, again, thanks for coming on Beyond the Ball podcast here. And uh, from what we see, you've worn a lot of hats here, from a disc jockey to a coach, 
um, and now the CEO of your own company, Good Teammate Factory. And many of our guests come on and their end game is always the sidelines. Um, but you went in a different direction and you felt that your calling was better served elsewhere. How did you come um, about making that decision? Uh, boy, you know, I never really know how to answer that question. So, you know, it's a very common question. It's a good question. How do you explain a calling? I mean, you, you ask somebody who's, a, you know, a pastor or you know, a rabbi or whatever, how do you explain a calling? And I don't know, uh, other than <laughs> you just feel pulled towards something that is greater than yourself. For me, I, uh, you know, I was like a lot of former student athletes. I, I love sports, played sports for as long as I can remember. Uh, I grew up with balls in my crib. And uh, when I playing days came to an end in college, uh, I didn't want to let go. I really, I probably didn't know what else I could do with my life. There's nothing else I really wanted to. So I kind of stuck around coaching because it just seemed like the logical thing to make it last and drag out that love as long as I could. And at some point I fell in love with coaching. I remember going to a coaching clinic and there was a, uh, a, a billboard up, a sign up at one of the booths and uh, it was from the FCA. And I didn't even know what the Fellowship of Christian Athletes was to be honest, but it was a quote uh, It said, um, you know, a coach will impact more people in a lifetime mm-hmm than most people will in their entire uh, life, or a season, than most people will entire their life. And I probably butchered the quote, but it's from Billy Graham. I didn't know who Billy Graham was, I didn't know what FCA was, but I knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to touch other lives. So I got into coaching, and you know, a bizarre sequence of unexpected events uh, put me on a plane ride that kind of scared me. I was flying home from watching one of my players receive a reward, an award, sorry, um, and I just got scared in that plane, and it got really bad turbulence. You know, I mean, have you ever experienced that? It's scary. Yeah. So, uh, and it just made me think, well, what if this is it? And I wouldn't advise this, but, but you know, Justin, before I got on a plane, I happened to catch that United 93 movie about the yeah. you know, September 11th. And I remember there's, there's a scene in, in the movie where uh, the passenger also they're on the phones they used to be in the back of the, the seats and airplanes and they're making that one last mm-hmm. call home to their, their loved ones. And I thought, all right, Lance, if you got one last call, what would I say to my loved ones? And at that time I had two daughters who were in preschool and I still have two daughters, but at that time they were in preschool. So what would I say to them? What would be that one last message that one last bit of advice I could leave them that would you know, serve them well for the rest of their life? And I started thinking about how I got to be on that flight. In this case, I was there to watch one of my players uh, flying home from seeing him receive the Allstate Good Works Award. And if you're not familiar with the award, it, uh, it's to help people or to recognize student athletes who use their skills to go out and make a positive difference in their community. And this kid was very deserving of the reward. Uh, but, you know, he wasn't the best player in our team. He wasn't very tall, couldn't jump very high, was very fast. Uh, was our leading scorer. In fact, he, he really didn't even play that much. <laughs> I feel guilty now. But everybody on the team loved him. I mean, they loved him because he was such a good teammate. The team mattered so much to him. And I thought, there it is. That's the advice I wanted, needed to give my daughters. Uh, just be a good teammate. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that. But in essence, that moment led to a change of uh, you know, lifestyle for me. Uh, I wrote a book. Be a Good Teammate. It was a children's book. 
Um, it was basically advice I wanted to give my daughters. Uh, when I got off that plane, that plane, that plane, I sat down in my little office in my house and I sketched out these very rudimentary drawings and typed up what I thought it meant to be a good teammate and folded that thing in half and set it on the kitchen counter and left it there. And all it was ever meant to be was some advice if something ever happens to daddy. And, you know, mm-hmm. as those things go, my wife shows it to some of her dance mom friends who show it to their friends. It ended up being a published. It, that book kind of changed the trajectory of my life. And- wow, Coach, that's that's a crazy cool story. So before we dive into that part of your journey, so what about this coaching aspect? Because we are beyond the ball and we are rooted in coaching a little bit. And everything you're talking about, I think, is something that coaches try to convey to their players especially at the high school level and the small college level, right? Where a lot of these kids are not going to the NBA or maybe making a living um, playing the game that they love. So teaching those life skills. So what was that journey like? You said when your playing days were over, did you, you know, you wanted to coach. So was, was the craze to coach at the highest level a priority for you? Or were you just, you know, happy being in the gym? What did that look like for you when you got started? Yeah, I think both of those are true because I was a gym rat and, you know, people who go into coaching go into it because they love they love their craft so much. And that's why I did. I love basketball. I love, you know, uh, someone asked me, I did a podcast uh, recently and someone asked me, what's your favorite sound in the world? And only a coach will understand this. I said, the squeak of sneakers on a, a gym floor. Absolutely. I think sec- I, we, seconded, seconded only to the ball going through the net, right? Only yes. The, yes. The, the swishing sound, right? Yeah. See, people listening to this podcast understand that answer. <laughs> that lady, I said that, and she thought, what a weirdo. But we yeah. understand it. <laughs> so, I, and, and I love the craft. And, I, and you know, when, when you're driven, when you really want excellence in your life, uh, you want the best. I mean, every seventh grade basketball now player now has aspirations. They want to play in the NBA. You know, they want to play Division One. When you know that, that you want, you have that high. And I, I had that. I wanted to coach at the highest level. And um, you know, but you, you never know how your life's journey is going to work out. So when you got done, where what would what your journey look like? Where have you been? What were your stops prior to making this career change? So I, I started out as a referee. Because when I when I left well when I left college I needed a couple more classes to finish my degree so I went back and was taking some classes at a local college near my home <laughs> and there was a, this this guy well now we'd call him an, a non traditional student but he seemed like the old guy to me now he was probably thirty five at the time but he was the old guy in class and you know I was in a speech class with him and we gave uh, our presentations that day and afterwards I'm walking out back towards out of the classroom and this guy kind of pulled me aside and said, hey, uh, you looking for a job? And my first thought was, you know, what factory does this guy work in? But it turns out he worked at a radio station and they were looking for DJs, looking for help. Uh, so he got me a job and ended up being on morning radio. Well, I loved that job. It was great. It was fun. It was so much different than anything else I had done in my life up to that point because it was all sports to that point. Um, <laughs> and it, it's funny because when you go to morning radio, I'd start at three o'clock in the morning, but I'm done by you know, 10 or 11 a.m. What do you do with the rest of your time? <laughs> I mean, I'd go to the movie theater. Well, that gets old after a while. So uh, I love sports and I was missing it tremendously. And someone said, why don't you, you know, start refereeing? So I started refereeing games and it was great. And I loved it. It gave me something to do. Uh, and, you know, 
and, and then one day I get a call at, at work and uh, I recognized the caller's name. He was the, he was one of the top uh, college referees in our area. And I remember him doing my games as a kid when I was playing. And I thought, that's it. Now I'm getting called to the show. It's my stop. Well, it turns out this guy, he, he was actually a high school principal and there, something happened with their coach and they needed a coach. And he, and he, he bumped into one of my former coaches at the grocery store and asked, hey, do you know anybody? And my coach said, hey, yeah, I talked to him. So, so I became a high school coach after that. And I loved it and I did that for several years and it was wonderful. And the relationships I made with some of those families I, are still close relationships with me today. Uh, but from there, I ended up being uh, coaching at the collegiate level uh, at the Division Three level, and it was, it, was a, it was a great job, but <laughs> you were asking about bizarre stories. When you start out at, at that time, when I was doing this at the small college level, you wore a number of different hats. I mean, I had like seven different job titles when I started. Uh, you know, I was the assistant athletic director, the facility manager, the intramural director, SID. It, 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 well, when I started, I got hired, and I was getting married that same week. So, I went in like my first day on job and they wouldn't understand. It was kind of, I was going to orientation, get used to the, my office set up. And then uh, I was heading off the next day for my honeymoon. I was getting married and I was heading off. So uh, I'm sitting in my office that first day and the athletic director walks in. And I, I had had all of about, you know, 15 minutes of conversation with this man up to that point. Uh, so he comes in and says, Hey, looks, we're going to be tight on budget. We're short on coaches this year. So, uh, you and I, one of us are going to have to coach a soccer team and the other is going to have to coach a softball team. Which do you want to oh, do? Wow. And I just kind of looked at him like a deer in headlights. Why? Yeah. I don't know anything about either one of those sports. He goes, all right, you coach soccer, I'll coach softball. He walked out of my office. I thought, well, that's that. So I ended up coaching uh, the men's soccer team when I first started. And you know, and this is this is the honest to God truth. Uh, you know, my wife laugh, laughs at it now, but she wasn't so happy then. Uh, I got out of work in the library in our town, happened to still be open till eight o'clock. So uh, this was never no Amazon back then. So I, I stopped at the library. I grabbed Soccer for Dummies. I, that literally, I grabbed that book, put it in my suitcase and jumped on the car, picked up my wife, went to the airport. And we left for our honeymoon. So I, uh, <laughs> I have pictures of me in our honeymoon. I'm sitting on a cruise ship and I'm reading Soccer for Dummies. It's just an amazing story. So, first of all, Lance, did you ever make a bad call? In uh, as a referee? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so many of them I can't remember, uh-huh. but not, but none that I'll ever admit to. So, is your favorite call the block charge? Uh, it, it is. It is. You know, nice. I, I I wasn't a great player. Uh, I wasn't. I was. You know, it's a point guard. So. Uh, uh, I was often the first one back on defense. So what do you do when you're short and everybody right, else right. can tall and jump over? You take charges. That's now, right. I can't right. block anybody's shot. So I was always partial to and somebody took a try to take a charge. I kind of I was always the benefit of the doubt. So So um, now the last one I have is as making that transition from a basketball coach to a soccer coach, what was it like not being able to call a timeout when the team wasn't performing well and you couldn't stop the game in that soccer in that soccer match? It's tough. It's yeah. tricky because you just have no control over that. It's funny, though, because I think coaching that soccer team made me a better basketball coach. There's a tremendous carryover value between the two. And, you know, soccer players make great basketball defenders, um, mm. you know, and, and, and vice versa because they understand angles. 
and you know the the spacing on soccer is is really comparable to how you're teaching you know uh, ball you man defense. I used to teach you know help side defense. It's very comparable. So a lot of the drills uh, I didn't know any soccer drills other than the ones I got in the book, uh, but I would adapt the basketball drills to them. Um, so it was fun. You know, I think it made me a better coach. It tested my creativity. Yeah, Lance. So I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. One of my best defenders ever was a Division One soccer player. He kind of played basketball part time, but we could kind of throw him out there and just guard the other team's best player. A lot of comparable stuff there. So you make this journey into coaching, which um, I think a lot of Eric and I in particular have conversations all the time about people's paths and how they end up being there. And then you have this incident on your flight and the, the journey kind of changes. Were you all in like immediately, like you don't coach anymore. Was that like a difficult decision to come to, or did it just become too much and take on a life of its own? How did that transition happen? All of those. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's right? a, a loaded question. So, um, so I write this children's book and, and I have no desire. I'm not artistic, but I illustrated the book and I wrote it. And it's, it's, it's not a very in-depth book. Uh, I, my daughter was in kindergarten, so they're learning to read that year. And my other one's in preschool. So they use sight words. And you're teachers, so maybe you, you're, you're familiar with this. Uh, at least some of your listeners are. So they're those very basic the and, you know. So I tried to use as many sight words as I could in my, in my daughter's book because it was really just for us. And I thought she'd be able to help read it to me. So when, uh, you know, whenever I get a, an email or a letter from somebody who asks me or sends me a picture of them, uh, their daughter reading them that book, I just like, man, it makes my heart smile to know that's where that book is gone. And I joke about that book, you know, that silly little thing I printed off our little inkjet printer, what we had back then, has now made its way around the world. It's been sold in six of the seven continents. <laughs> One day, those crazy people in Antarctica are going to wake up and see what they're missing out on. <laughs> uh, so that, that silly little book really opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, so what would happen is I started getting asked to come and speak or come to uh, children's book festivals for book signings and things like that. And then I would started getting asked to come to schools, talk to the kids. And I kind of put this little presentation together and I would... I'd get a call and I'd go to the school and I'd do that. Well, then I started getting asked to speak at more and more events. And what I, well, the same thing would happen every school I went to. There would be the principal coming over afterwards or there would be a uh, uh, um, – guys, I'm not sure if I lost you there. No, we're here still. Okay, sorry. So there would be a principal come over. There would be a, you know, a parent would come over and say, hey – you need to write an adult version of that book because we got some people that work here don't know what it means to be a good teammate. Right. <laughs> and what happened was, uh, you know, I kind of stumbled across something I'd, I I'd never really thought about. I didn't realize how big of an, an issue it is that people don't know what it means to be a good teammate. Um, you know, so I really started diving into it. What's that mean? Uh, and I started exploring. I became, you know, it's, it's amazing how quickly you can become an expert on a topic. And if you, you know, you know someone who has a sick child who has cancer or something, you ask that person how quickly they become experts on cancer. I mean, they're telling you all kinds mm -hmm. of things. It's amazing when something is important, it really matters to you. And <laughs> it doesn't have to be something like a sick child. Ask somebody who's gone to buy whose refrigerator broke down and they got to go buy a new refrigerator. You become an expert really quick. You know, every model, you know, all the features. 
And and what happens to most people when, you know, once they get their new refrigerator or their child recovers, they kind of forget about that. Knowledge goes by the wayside. Well, for me, I couldn't let it go. I just became obsessed with the art of being a good teammate. So eventually I, I did write a second book and it was an adult nonfiction title uh, called Building Good Teammates. It was basically about my journey and I had a very unusual childhood and how that scoped my my uh, you know, involvement with sports and how I scoped my opinions of coaching and my, you know, my coaching philosophies and how it needed to change. Because I think the one thing that was missing was I really wasn't building kids to be good teammates. Um, you know, as coaches, we talk about it all the time. And I'm in a position now, a unique position being out of coaching where I get access to a lot of things I, I formerly wouldn't have. I get to go watch all kinds of practices now, and I love doing that. And you get to go meet with coaches who would never meet with you before because, you know, you're, you're competition, uh, whatever. And, and I hear it all the time. You've know, you got to be a better teammate. Oh, he's, he's a bad teammate. And the other one I hear is, oh, he's a good teammate, and which is like code for uh, he's a nice kid, but he's not very talented. And it really gets under my skin when I hear that because being a good teammate, I've come to realize, is a talent. So I write this other book and I become obsessed with it. And what happens is I s slowly start getting asked to speak at more and more events. And uh, it turns out that's a very well-paying gig. Uh, it's very lucrative. And at some point I start looking at my paycheck and I say, well, I'm making more money off of speaking than I am off of coaching. And that's enticing, but I had to give up on my love, you know, coaching. I really mm -hmm. love coaching. So it's interesting because we talked about this earlier in the call here. Uh, what happened was I started thinking about that darn Billy Graham sign that I saw all those years ago. And I thought, you know, if one coach really does touch that many lives and I can keep doing what I'm doing and every year I'll have another 12 or 15 kids and I'll touch their lives and I'll force feed them this good teammate stuff and it'll make a difference in their life. But that'll be it. But if I leave that, that, that behind, and I go out and I can reach coaches, I can reach teachers, how many more? If I can coach the coaches to do this, well then it's you know infinitely multiply the impact you have. And, and that was the decision I arrived at. And uh, you know, I took that entrepreneurial plunge, which is scary sometimes. Just an amazing story, Lance. Um... I just got a couple questions for you. One, when you're making the transition from the ch the children's book um, to what was re recommended for you to write the adult book, how much courage did you have to have? Did you ever doubt yourself to be able to make that transition? Because from what you were saying earlier, it was just kind of you, you threw the kids' book together, and now now they're calling for an adult version. Um, what kind of steps did you have to kind of promote yourself to accomplish this? It, it was extremely hard for me because uh, I'm not a naturally, I, I don't think I'm a good writer. Um, and what I equate it to, you know, some people are naturals at it. And things flow and it comes to them. And, mm -hmm. it, and you know, there's an old uh, human resources or a training thing when you hear about uh, left brain, right brain. Anyhow, you write, if you're right-handed, you write with your right hand. It comes naturally. It's easy. Now, if you have to sign your name with your left hand, it's not, it's not natural, but put some thought into it. Now, if you practice with your left hand enough, you can become proficient at writing with it. But it'll never come as naturally as you're writing with your right hand. So writing for me was like using my left hand. 
Uh, and the more I practice, the better I got, but it never comes natural. And I'm a slow writer and I'm naturally, I'm a slow reader. Um, so it wasn't easy for me. So I meandered my way through the first book. And, uh, and I'll, at some point, I think what gave me the courage, I read uh, that people will look past poor writing if it's a good story. And that gave me just enough courage to forge on with it. And I, did, I really had the very, very loose premise for a story. Um, so and I never, it's, a, it's a nonfiction book, so it's my account. You know, it's my what happened to me. My second question, Lance, is uh, earlier you were saying you just became obsessed with this topic of being a good teammate and then the world never c- could have too many good teammates. Um, did you find a correlation with with students that maybe were struggling with that or players that were struggling with that concept to maybe um, these characteristics were passed on from their parents, you know, maybe from the, the stands just cheering for only their son or daughter? Yeah, that's a big one. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the great things about uh, – well, there's a lot of great things. One of the great things about coaching at the college level and going back and watching the high school level you're recruiting, you're, you're an impartial third party. You, I, I, could, I could care less who wins this game. In fact, it's to my selfish interest that the player I'm recruiting, if his team loses because the less success he has – the less likely it is that other coaches will get it, you know, hear about him. So you're almost rooting against your, your, the kid you're recruiting in, in kind of a way, uh, but you don't care. So I sit there in the stands and you hear all the things the parents say, you know, and, you know, and they range from absolutely absurd to, Oh, I feel so sorry for that, that kid. Uh, to sometimes, you know, you know, the parents are right. And you, and you say, I wish that coach would just really, hear what that parent's saying so you hear it all um so yeah i think what happens in the stands has a a tremendous impact on players and, and naturally i i know when i was a player i thought i was a good teammate and i think if you ask most people they would say yeah i'm a good teammate i mean <laughs> how many people really say no i'm a selfish you know teammate no one really ever says that they may think it they may know it but they don't really say it um, I have a quiz on my website. It's a, it's a good teammate assessment quiz. If you go to my website, uh, you can take this quiz. And I think people are generally uh, surprised by the results of how good of a teammate they are. And it assesses you in uh, six different categories. And you know, one is just a general overall good teammatedness. I don't know for lack of a better term. And the other five are the five behaviors that uh, basically through my obsession and my research I I came upon. And um, I like to say that you don't have to be uh, tall to be a good teammate. You don't have to be fast. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be intelligent. I mean, you really don't even have to be, you don't have to be good looking. You just have to be alive. And there's duality in that. Yes, anybody with a pulse can choose to be a good teammate. It's the talent that requires no talent. But alive is also an acronym. And it stands for active, loyal, invested, viral, and empathetic. And those are the five keys, behaviors to uh, being a good teammate. So this quiz assesses you on those five things. And I think people are surprised uh, by that. So Lance, as I like was getting ready for this, I actually like took a look at that quiz and I, I love the acronym that you use for a live, right? That's real sticky language for people to kind of connect with. And so when talking about this and 
obviously we can apply this in our coaching field, you know, coaching teams and your actual teammates, but you've also spiraled this into the business world. So how do you um, carry that message over from one genre to another? Um, is it, is, do you have to transition too much or do you kind of talk about the same core ideas? Well, I think the same core is always there. And, and I, if you ask somebody, are you a good teammate? You have to, you absolutely must add the addendum to that on your team because there's, there's different standards for every team. Right. Um, you know okay. I mean? Yep. Being punctual is like so crucial to the success of some teams but it's completely, you know, irrelevant to others. If you work from home and you're on your own pace and you're doing, you know, piecework, it doesn't matter if you start at 9 a.m. or if you start at, you know, 4 p.m., as long as you get the work done. Whereas some teams, man, one minute late throws the whole entire operation off. So there's different qualities for, you know, measures for every team. So uh, what one of the things I, I came to is, well, is there one universal uh, definition one universal explanation for what it means to be a good teammate. And I struggled with this for a long time, but eventually, you know, I settled upon there is. I really believe there is, and it's something I call the we gear, W-E. And uh, I explain the we gear like this, and I don't know, do either of you know how to drive a, a, a manual transmission, a oh, yeah. stick shift? Yes? yes. Oh, yeah, we're, we're, country, we're country boys, so we know, <laughs> like, we know how to do that. Well, you may be country boys, but you're also overachievers because most people don't. Yeah, I mean, in fact, right. no, you know, less, less than 4% of the cars even sold in the United States uh, even come with a manual transmission. Uh, you know, there was a time when that, that was so, so, such a common part of yeah. the automobile industry. It was known as the standard transmission. So it's, now it's, you know, it's a thing of the past. So it seems almost funny to explain the art of being a good teammate through what's practically a, a lost art shifting gears but it is an analogy that makes perfect sense and it sums up uh, you know your question justin so here's the we gear in a nutshell the condensed version so uh let me explain let me explain you know for those listeners who don't understand the concept and aren't as gifted as justin and eric uh, the concept of a manual transmission all right so your uh you, you automatic transmission is very easy you put the car in d you go forward put it in r you go backwards put in p you stop just don't put it in p you're still going forward or backwards the p is not going to stand for park it's going to stand for problem as in broken transmission problem Manual transmission is a little more tricky, a little more involved. You have to physically maneuver the gear shift through the gears. If you're going up a hill and you need power, you downshift into a lower gear. You're on a highway, you need more speed, you upshift into a higher gear. But before you shift gears, you must engage the clutch pedal. And this is the part where everybody goes, ooh, because it's that mysterious third pedal that you know most cars don't have. Right, exactly. So, you know, in the automobile industry, this is known as a clutch moment. That moment when you got to shift gears. Well, as humans, we have clutch moments in our lives, too. It's those, those junctures we come to when we must make a decision about how we're going to proceed. As humans, we also have gears. And most of us live our lives in the me gear where everything's about me, 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 me. What's in it for me? How's this benefit me? And that's the basis of your decisions. When a good teammate comes to a clutch moment, they shift from me to we. They make their decisions based on the answer to one simple question. What is best for my team? And that's a standard. What is best for my team? That applies to all teams universally. 
And so, and I think what I do, so, so how do I parlay the sports into business and families and churches and community involvement? All of those are teams. And you know, I think I apply that standard. So how does that a standard apply to your team? If you're working in an office and, you know, you're the person who's always leaving the copy machine out of paper. Well, are you making a decision to walk away that's best for your team? No. You know, a good team, it would fill it up before they left. And that's a simple decision, you know, a simple example. But that's the type of thing that applies that, you know, to all teams. Yeah, Coach, I, I'm going to say that that is some of the best sticky language in the way I am always – I have four kids of my own, and I'm constantly trying to talk about – you know, how, how can we better serve the family? How are we operating so that we can all coexist and get to where we need to be on time? You know, I know your girls dance. All three of my girls are dancers. My, they all play sports. So working in conjunction with each other for what's best for the team is totally a, a learned thing. Um, I think like people, people are naturally born, I think, on the selfish side, right? When you're a baby, all you really think about is yourself. How am I going to eat? How, where am I going to sleep? And you have to teach these ki your kids how to, how to think outside of themselves, you know? And I think that is just such a great way uh, to frame it. The, the clutch moment where you have to shift into something that's bigger than yourself. And I can totally see it from a, a basketball perspective. And as I moved more into an administrative role, uh, this year as well, I totally am picturing myself included moments where I haven't been a great teammate, um, you know, and where this could be applied to. It's so good. When you when I look at that and once I came to, I thought, man, I wasn't a good teammate. I made choices me all the time. Like I'll give you an example in college <laughs> and I'll give you like the, you know, the Disney version of the stories. And, you know, it's like, you know, how a Pixar movie. Uh, you know, they, there's like two level of jokes. One the kids get, and the one yeah, just for yeah, parents. Yeah, the kids, yeah, it's yeah. like, what are you laughing at, Mom? Yeah. So when you're in college, you know, my roommate would uh, <laughs> he, he would go out in the evenings and visit some fraternities, <laughs> and he'll fill in the blanks. And he would come back, and uh, next day he'd be not feeling so well, and he wouldn't be able to go to class. Well, I would. He was playing in front of me, and we were great friends. But he was like my competition team. He played in front of me. So I'd let him sleep in and not go to class. I'd go to class. Well, at the end of the semester, my roommate's ineligible, and I'm in the starting lineup. You know, now, that's a terrible teammate. That my motives were 100% me gear. Uh, now, what I should have been, I should have been going to Tim. I should have been talking to my coach. I should have been doing what was best for my team because he was better than me. He could, he could shoot better. He was faster. He could jump higher. He's a better defender. Every aspect, he was a better player than me. And what was best for my team is my team having him and me supporting him. And that's, you know, that's, and you look back at your career, I bet there's moments like that on your team when you could have encouraged and instead you said nothing. Yeah, this, thank you for sharing that story. It's um, certainly a, a great example of, of what you're just talking about. So, Lance, if we were to sit down um, with my team, I'm looking at the website, and there's a bunch of books to choose from, and we are going to have a little book club for our season. Uh, which one would you suggest? That's a common question, and I suggest two. Um, if you want to do a book club, do the We Gear. And that's everything I talked about. And I go in and I explain more and I go in more depth about each of those five alive behaviors. Uh, and I'll give an example like loyal. 
Now, I think if you ask people about loyalty, and this shows up when the low scores on the quiz, I see the results of people taking that. That quiz has been taken by tens of thousands of people, and it's consistently people score the low on loyalty. Because most people think of loyalty as, uh, if you got my back, I've got yours. And good teammates don't think of it that way. It's not a two-way street for them. Good teammates think, I've got your back. Whether you've got mine or not, I've got yours. And that's the depth of their commitment. So, um, And I think that's those are topics that teams can talk about. So I wrote the We Gear uh, basically, it was is intended to be a book club for teams. So it's it's written and it's often referred to as a bathroom reader. It's little short segments that can each be covered in a single sitting. <laughs> I was very careful with my uh, enunciation there, a single <laughs> sitting. So, uh, you know, and those are, that's how book clubs great. You read this chapter and you talk about this chapter. They're little nuggets of discussion topics. Now, the other part of that is I have seen that silly little children's book used in so many clever ways you know i've seen it as uh you know people buy it all the time as senior gifts because it's great advice kind of like uh, you know the dr seuss book oh the places yeah. you will go and they give that as graduation gifts well people buy that um that that children's book all the time and use it that way as senior night gifts and because it it's really so simple but it really drives home the message of what's important to you and uh, there's a football team uh, <laughs> in west virginia of all places who uses that book. I came across this because their coach, uh, I heard about from the coach, um, when they have problems on their team, anybody who's acting selfish, and there's anything that they think they put themselves ahead of the team, one of the, they, anybody on a team can call out that player. And uh, that player has to go read the book in front of the entire team. Now, it takes like, you know, 90 seconds to read the whole book because they're all single senses. But it, it reinforces their culture and what's important in that culture. So the children's book's not good for a book club, but it's great for teams to have around and their teams to, you know, use it uh, as, a, as a culture reinforcer, if you will. Awesome stuff. Uh, Lance, my last one here um, with these questions is we've had a couple sideline reporters on the last couple of our guests, and we are asking them if they've ever been, like, somewhat star- starstruck being down there with them so close and then – being able to interview them and ask them questions and their responses were really neat. Um, so has that ever happened to you? Someone, hey, hey Lance, you know, I was reading your book. Um, it was an amazing. Thanks so much for writing. You're doing great things. Ever happened to you? It, it, it happens, uh, I wouldn't say frequently, but regularly. And I am starstruck every single time. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the Wii Gear made it into Forbes, Forbes' list of 20 books that will make you a better coach or mentor. And these are simple things I, you know, I sit in my eye, come up with, and then I see them, how their people will gravitate with. So I'm on the same book list as, uh, you know, Tony Dungy's on there, uh, Russell Branson, uh, Stedman Graham. That's like Oprah's boyfriend. And my book is listed ahead of his. So, you know, I'm, that's like flattering for me. And I'm very proud of that. Uh, you know, some, you know, the major division one coaches, I'll get letters randomly how they're using that book and they've used the book uh, for their their teams um, I told you the story about the high school football team well they use that book in their club uh, their uh, for their culture that team won their first state championship in like since 1968 it was like a big deal in that community and it made the papers well that story was picked up and from that story the coach Neil Brown at WVU football uh, read it, picked that book, got the book, and, and they used it with their staff as a, a book club for their staff. And you know, and I had a, a 
Now that's a cool one. I think one of the coolest ones, at least recently, um, I don't know if you know um, uh, George Raveling, Coach Rav. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's like that's like basketball, you know, royalty. Yeah. I mean, if your listeners don't know him, Google his name because he, uh, you know, he has a book club list that. What he does for leadership books and sports books is kind of what Oprah, everybody wants to get on Oprah's book club. But what Oprah does for memoirs, uh, Coach Rowling does for leadership books. And he my, featured my book as, uh, you know, his book of the week and tweeted how much he enjoyed the book and stuff. And I was so flattered. I mean, that's that's the guy who got <laughs> he's responsible for Michael Jordan Jumpman being on the logo. You know, what I mean, he is the reason there is Air Jordan. And for him to say something kind to me. Uh, I mean, how can your heart not smile? Something like that. Awesome story. You know, we talk about on here all the time with coaches that, you know, and Eric and I personally have talked, you know, off the pod about this idea of like the imposter syndrome, right? Where you're not sure if you're worthy or what you have to say is relevant to people, you know, and it's something that him and I have, Eric and I have battled even doing this podcast, for example, and so, like, even having you on for us is just a huge monumental thing for us. So I can't even imagine being, you know, at your level, impacting other coaches like that as well. It's so cool. Um, one, A couple of things, because we don't want to keep you too long here, Lance, but uh, some entrepreneur friends that I, that I have just in my personal life are, are constantly telling me, like, when you start out on a journey, you know, you have this idea in mind of what you want it to be. But very rarely does it ever end up, you know, exactly what you thought it was going to be. And you just kind of got to go with it and keep, you know, evolving what the picture or what the end game looks like. Is that kind of been the same path for you in this process? Like, did you envision having like the website and the blog and the books or is this all kind of just kind of grown, you know, organically to to what it is today? Um. Boy, you're asking great questions. And again, I mean, I feel like I'm saying this every time to you, Justin, but all of the above. I mean, what's an entrepreneur? I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. And the hardest question for me to answer is if I go to a party or, you know, you're you're out at a gathering with my my daughter's friends or something. And someone says, well, what do you do for a living? My wife, I said, well, I'm an accountant. And they look at me, what do you do for a living? I don't know how to answer that question. Am I an author? Well, Yes, technically, but I don't think of myself as that. I mean, I've written seven books, but I still don't think of myself as an author. I'm not a coach anymore. Um, so, you know, I kind of say, well, I help people become better teammates, which is good because it sparks, you know, further conversation. But then now I got to answer, well, how do you do that? So I, I guess kind of settled on the answer is I'm an entrepreneur. And what is an entrepreneur? It's someone who jumps off a cliff because they know they need to, and they invent a parachute on the way down. And that is that has been the nutshell version of my journey. Because someone said to me, well, you need a website. Why do I need a website? And, and you, I am engulfed with imposter syndrome all the time. Um, so now I, you get a website. Then, then someone said, well, you need to, you, you got to start a blog. So I started a blog, and the blog blows me away because, you know, it goes from me asking, you know, a couple of my buddies and cousins to sign up for it now i mean the most just olympic coaches read that blog every week and i you know it's i can't it's it's almost unfathomable to me because i think it's something that people the message it resonates with people you know there is truth to it um so 
all of those things come into play and you're constantly learning. Someone says, well, you need a better social media following. Why do I know? I don't, I'm not, you know, I, I don't know anything about Twitter. So, you know, and I started that and you see that growing and I, and, and it's great. Social media is great because it has opened up doors and it has allowed me to connect with some of the most interesting people I never would have crossed paths with before. Just and, like I, was, right and I was just going to say that. <laughs> and without that, how do I you know I don't cross paths with you too? And I'm so grateful I did because you're fascinating people and I love what you're doing and you're providing a great service. And I think you're really, you're selling yourself short because there is somebody who's going to hear this message tonight. And it happened because you facilitated it and they're going to go back to their team and they're going to rethink their methods and they're going to get through to some selfish kid on their team. And by them getting through to that person, that kid's life is going to change. And it's a ripple effect. You don't know how many, he might go on and be, you know, a great congressman. He might be, you know, a great CEO of a company and he really changes the world. And that, that's how it happens. I mean, that's the Johnny Appleseed effect of all of this. Yeah, I think when we started, it was, uh, you know, a passion project where Eric and I, and I, I won't necessarily speak for you, Eric, but for me, it was just, I'm missing hoops. I need to talk hoops and I need to, I need to communicate with friends. And so this was an easy way to kind of do all of those things while experimenting with something new and jumping off of a cliff of our own. So I appreciate you saying that because we're in the same boat. Like we, we have just found this whole process, uh, or at least I have enlightening. We've talked yes, to people absolutely. in Guam. We've talked to people all over the world and it's been really cool just to get to know people. And, uh, you know, we've said this to you off air a little bit, but like, it's a passion project. Like I'm not, we're not making any money off. We could, we could joke at how much money we make off of this pocket. Like, it's pennies. It's not even dollars. You know what I mean? And so, but it, that's not why we're doing yeah, it. That's we're not doing the it mission, just to, you know? you know, it's not the mission at all, but Hey, listen, um, I, I think we should wrap it up. I, I just am absolutely blown away. A that you were willing to come on and everything that you have given us has just been, and I got a page Lance full of notes here, um, Good. that I'm going to have Good. to retype. Uh, and we'll be, we'll be definitely sharing these with, uh, my coworkers and my team. So, I appreciate well, I, you coming on. I appreciate being on. And I, I, real quick, there's something I wanted to add. You made me. I, I, you asked me the last question I wanted to add, and I forgot. Um, you asked about the journey, the entrepreneurial journey, and you know, and even how yours came to be. It's all because of the pandemic. You know, the COVID stuff that things have changed. So for this is the worst time in the world, the most difficult, challenging time, at least for to be a, a speaker, because there's no conferences, there's no events. I can't get into you know schools or anything to speak so you had to pivot and uh, how do you do that it was when you're you're talking about being scared uh, I'm very scared and I heard someone say that you know when you run a marathon most people quit at mile 20 and I think it might have been the author John Gordon I heard him say it and I, I love John Gordon he's fantastic oh, man. Yeah. Uh, uh, and um, but he said you know Statistics are most people quit at mile 20 and you're so close to finishing a 26 mile race. It's that little extra at the end you push on. I don't want to steal John's material, but I think I find inspiration now because I'm doing this. And now the pandemic, I can't speak anymore. Maybe I should go back and do whatever. Maybe I should go sell insurance. We got to pivot. And I've been able to pivot and, we, and I, I started doing some more online podcasts and all these things, uh, webinars. And I was able to develop an uh, online course. So now you can go to goodteammatefactory.com, 
uh, or my website, coachloya.com, and you can uh, log into the course. And teams can sit down. It's like, you know, get rid of your three-hour practice for some Saturday morning and do this course as a team. You're going to change your culture, and you're going to change somebody's life through that experience. So wow, maybe that's wow. a better what answer. A great way to end it. What a great way to end it. Yeah, Lance, I approve. again, we'll we'll wrap up with that. I think Eric nailed it. That's a perfect way to end it. Um, we'll definitely promote. That's what this podcast is all about, is just celebrating coaches and others that, you know, have been connected to sport and maybe have used that to serve other people. Eric always, Eric, what's your tagline? Serve, love, care. Yeah, but that's from John, too. Yeah, yeah. And that's from John, yeah and it's just, I, I think that's what you're doing such a great job. Yes, yeah, so I was just going to say I that, think too. We can do, anything we can do to help promote that, uh, we are here. So thank you again. The pleasure, pleasure is mine. I mean All that. Right. The pleasure is mine, fellas. It's been All great, right. Lance. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit MyPodcastManager.com to get started. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. 